This week, I'm welcoming back Paul Avis to the show for the fifth time, along with his colleagues Natalie Summerson and Bill Eddles. We talk about how technology has transformed the once lengthy and complex underwriting process into something more customer-friendly. It's a deep dive into the world of financial services and protection insurance. Welcome to episode 182 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hey folks, and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. Before we launch into this week's interview, just want to tell you about my relaunched marketing tips videos. Now, previously, these have been going out on YouTube under the Marketing and Finance TV banner, a sort of tie-in to the podcast. Fact is, these videos are mainly marketing tips, so I've rebooted the videos under the banner Marketing Made Simple. Each video is a two to three minute marketing tip, and as you would expect from me, it's all about cutting complexity, cutting BS, and keeping your marketing strategy simple. I'd really appreciate you checking those videos out on YouTube, and if you like them, do please subscribe. Just go onto YouTube and search for Roger Edwards Marketing TV, and I'll include a link to the videos in the show notes for this podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. So let's get into this week's interview. We chat about how the underwriting process has changed over the years from simple in the 1980s to complex in the 2000s, the three main reasons customers drop out of applying for protection insurance, fixing the frustrations of long waits for general practitioners' reports, cutting back on questions to make shorter, more understandable application forms, pints and glasses, not units, talking the customer's language, and putting the customer at the heart of the journey, not the actuary. So let's get straight into that interview with Paul, Natalie and Bill right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Paul, Natalie, Bill, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hello, Roger. Hello, Roger. Roger. Welcome along, guys. Now, I've actually lost track of how many times Canada Life have been on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Undoubtedly, Paul, you'll know, so tell me. Oh, it's at least four or five. I'm, I'm with you, Roger. Um, I love doing them, but I, I, I hate listening back to myself, so I can't remember when I last did one, but it's, I, I'm sure it's four or five. I'm sure it is four or five. And just so everybody knows, where are we talking to each other from? I'm in Edinburgh, as always. Uh, we're in Bristol, a bit grey and overcast, despite the good weather around this summer. So, guys, thanks for coming on the show again. Today, as always, when I talk to you guys, we're going to be talking about protection, individual protection today mainly, and also we're going to be talking about using technology to close the protection gap. Um, But before we get into all of that, maybe just give me a quick background as to who each of you are. You've been on the show before, but some of the listeners might not have heard those episodes. So, Paul, do you want to go first? So, my name is Paul Avis. I'm the Marketing Director of Canada Life Group Insurance. I've been here since 2009, and um, I'm having to 
work very closely and upskill myself on individual protection because the last time I did that marketplace was ironically 1991. So working with Natalie and Bill is a pleasure for me because it, it refreshes some of the old memories I've had of the importance of protection on the individual space. And Natalie? Yeah, hi Roger. So I head up the distribution teams and the distribution strategy for Cancer Life Individual. Uh, and I've been in industry for just over 18 years in individual protection. Fantastic. And finally, Bill. Hi Roger, I'm a development underwriter. I've been working here for well, nearly 30 years now, so I've been doing it a long time. My goodness, between us, we've got nearly 100 years worth of experience in the financial right. services industry. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Some of us are greyer than others, Roger. <laughs> Some of us haven't even got any hair to be grey anymore. Let's face <laughs> it, let's face it. So, Paul, give me a little bit of background about what we're going to cover today. We're obviously looking at technology and looking at some of the technological developments you guys have done at uh, Canada Life to, to make the, the customer experience better. But give me a bit of background about what we're to talk about. So firstly, thanks for having us back again. And, and you know, in a, in a continuous theme, what you like to hear from insurance companies is what we're doing rather than just commenting on a marketplace and that you prefer action over words. So what we're here to do to talk about today is how we believe you can close the protection gap using technology, using fresh thinking and by being incredibly easy to do business with. We've had this as a belief as an insurance company for a long time. In December 2005, in the group division, we, all, we launched a service called Class, which is the Candlelife Automated Self Service, which was a cradle-to-grave SME quote engine that then goes right the way through to renewals, reporting, and administration. So since since that launch um, of Class in 2005, we now hold around about 12% of all UK group risk schemes on it. And so we've proven in the group market that technology can drive growth and allow advisors to operate uh, profitably in new market segments. So having set that precedent, roll on to uh, December 2013 when our Potter's Bar colleagues spotted a, a bit of kit which they thought was brilliant. Um, the kit was the Underwrite Me system where you could literally click and buy now. And so we thought, hold on, if we bought that system and we could adapt and change it, we could have put it on the, the front, but the back end, our legacy protection block, we had the, the administration systems to do it. So it was a no touch, click and buy uh, approach. So that was an individual uh, business decision that was uh, led by our Potter's Bar colleagues. But then in April 2014, with the budget changes, um, the, the impact of you know people fundamentally being able to take uh, their pension pots the team in Potter's Bar obviously had to focus on that area. So we in the group division, bear in mind we're leaders in group protection, said, could you take this area of work over? And so in, in, in 2014, we actually took over the launch of individual protection as a group division. What then happened was I was uh, asked to go out on the road in the summer of 2014 to visit some leading intermediaries to find out what they thought of the system, what their needs were, and, and to figure out what the real industry issue was, and, and I know Natalie's going to cover that off in much greater detail, but bear in mind, I was first in this industry in 1991. The first thing was I learned that nothing has changed. There was a massive frustration with traditional delays about uh, medical underwriting and so forth. What then happened was the advisor said to me, we really want to do more protection. We really want to do a, a, a really intuitive journey and something that engages the customer rather than frustrates them. So a fundamental change in the individual protection market needed to happen and we believe that the, the, the approach that we were taking was right for that. So we launched in August um, 2015. Um, since then, um, 
the reason Natalie and Bill are with me today is to talk you through how we've evolved that journey. Um, they both have massive experience in the market, as you just heard, uh, and they're genuinely loving the innovation that we're bringing to it. So, so without further ado, I'll probably hand over to Natalie to talk through the problems that, that she perceived in the traditional way of doing things. I think it's quite interesting thinking about the, the problems that we have in the protection market from the point of view of complexity. And the reason I bring up the complexity word is that I'm preparing for the protection review conference, which is literally a week away. One of the sections within the protection review conference is going to be about has the market become too complex? And when you use the complex word, a lot of people immediately think, well, it's critical illness cover that's too complicated, or we've added too many options onto the policies, or all this added value stuff is just confusing for customers. But in my head as well, it's not just the products, it's the it's the whole processes that we've put around them. We've got the underwriting process. Now, I can remember, you know, I started in the industry back in the late um, 80s, maybe just a couple of years before you, Paul. And back in those days, you could apply for a mortgage protection plan on one side, you know, maybe about five questions, if that. Whereas nowadays we have 32 pages worth of application forms and medical evidence flying backwards and forwards. And none of these things are particularly customer focused they're certainly not they certainly don't put together a good customer experience so so natalie are those the sort of problems that you see in the industry yeah very much so uh, roger and uh, you know me personally over the last 18 years having worked in this industry you know i've consistently uh, heard and and also seen uh, the impact of the uh, of the 2.4 trillion pound plus protection gap um, certainly, in, in my opinion, there, there are probably two main elements that that, uh, that support the creation of that gap. One, one is the uh, the lack of awareness or lack of education uh, of members of the public around that particular protection needs. Um, perhaps it's because they don't have access to an advisor, uh, or they don't understand the products, uh, or so on. Uh, but the other area, uh, and that's the area where I believe providers really can help to to close the protection gap down, is there is a pool of people, of course, that, that commit and agree that they require a protection product mm-hmm. to protect them and, and their family. And, uh, and they start that buying process quite often, obviously, through an intermediary, an advisor. But invariably, due to uh, maybe delays uh, or not understanding or a change in their, uh, in their premium or their expectation, they invariably drop out that journey, otherwise known to us as a, in our industry as a, an NTU or an MPW. Yeah. <laughs> Um, don't you, it, don't you just love those three-letter acronyms, NTU, crikey, I remember yeah. that. But, you know, it, it, it is that pool of people that we believe using technology and being a little bit clever in the way in which we deliver our technology, that, that we can help close some of that gap down. I agree with all of that, Natalie. You know, and it's funny you bring up those things like NTUs. Those are, I used to remember getting a report through every week, find out what our NTU level was. So, what are we going to see to fix these um, problems, Natalie? I've boxed it into three areas, Roger. So, the first one is the actual application form uh, itself. So, how the question sets are are phrased and worded. Um, it's really important that the customer is. Is, uh, has a full understanding of what's being asked of them. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk a little bit more about what I mean by that later on. So first of all, it's the application process. Uh, if the customer doesn't understand or is not sure of what's being asked of them, then they may well fall out of the journey early on, especially in the direct-to-consumer market. That's a key area. Second point uh, is around the 
the price that they obtain at the beginning of the journey, uh, often known as a quick quote price through the traditional portals, uh, may not invariably end up being the price that they are given at the end of their application process. So typically, three in 10 customers will end up with a, a price that's different to the price they were originally quoted. Um, and that can quite often throw customers um, uh, away from uh, from purchasing. And the final reason that um, I believe that you get a customer dropout post-application is the length of time that it can take an insurance company to make a decision as to whether off- to offer terms back to a customer. So, for example, when a case refers to the insurer's uh, manual underwriting team, how engaged uh, are those uh, underwriters with the intermediary and the customer uh, in setting the expectation of why that case is referred or indeed what is required? And of course, there's always the black hole, uh, which is the doctor's surgery when a GP, uh, GP report is requested. And therefore, it's that, it's that pool of people uh, who have agreed that they require protection products, but then uh, invariably drop out. So I believe our proposition can help to um, closing that, uh, bridging that gap, and therefore um, get more customers uh, indeed on risk. I think you bring up a really interesting point, especially the fact that one in three people don't end up getting the price that they got on the original quote. And this has been something that has annoyed me about the industry for many, many, many years. And I always use an analogy here. Imagine you go to the supermarket to do your weekly shop, it doesn't matter whether it's Tesco or Sainsbury, wherever it is, and you fill your basket, you know, your trolley up with stuff, a couple of hundred pounds worth of stuff. What would you feel like if you got to the checkout and they decided that one in three of each of the items that you had in your basket was incorrectly priced and they decided to charge you a different price. You would never shop in that place again, would you? You'd be so annoyed. They'd be picking things out. I'm sorry, that was incorrectly labeled. That's the wrong price. You wouldn't shop there again. And yet, as an industry, as a protection industry, we think it's all right to effectively dash the expectations of a third of our applicants. That has really always been one of my massive bugbears. So so what are we going to do to fix this? What are you doing at Canada Live to fix this? We are um, proactively keeping the advisor uh, informed. So I'll give you an example. So when an advisor goes on to our application form with their client and they disclose any conditions, so they'll start with their quick quote price. Let's say, for example, they disclose uh, high blood pressure and that high blood pressure disclosure results in the client paying a higher premium. Our application journey will tell the advisor that then and there. So what that allows the advisor to do is to inform their customer at that exact moment that that disclosure has made a difference in, in, in their premium. It allows them to then have that discussion with the client about how they wish to proceed. Now, I don't mean we should proceed, we don't want to go any further. I mean, is that premium now uh, going to be uh, affordable to you? Or actually, do we need to look at reducing down your sum assured because your uh, high blood pressure has resulted in a, in a non-standard premium? So all the way through our application journey, every time there's a disclosure made on health and lifestyle, the premium is updated, uh, therefore allowing the advisor the opportunity to talk to the client then and there. Whereas a lot of the traditional uh, routes, obviously, uh, application routes, that the, the advisor would complete 
28 to 30 odd questions with the clients, get to the end of the journey, then all of a sudden uh, they would then uh, find that their premium has been increased. And quite possibly the advisor would not know why their premium has increased and then would have to go and speak to the underwriting teams. So obviously everything's that change prices sometimes is obviously with the, the smoking status as well. And uh, here at Canada Life, we have quite a, a clever price, price points on our smoking statuses. We don't have this very black and white where you just ask whether you're a smoker or never smoked. We have different pricing points as well for the process, whether or not you're a, uh, e-cigs and nicotine and so we always ask about ex- uh, um, when you last smoked a tobacco product which obviously gives you that personal uh, smoking price as well. What does the customer feel is different than they would from a, another insurance company for example? So certainly from a, an advisor's standpoint is that they're able to engage with their client then and there which perhaps they wouldn't be able to do with another provider. From a customer perspective, they're being fully informed all the way through the application, not having to wait to the end of the application to find out that their premium perhaps is not the same as as they were originally quoted. So we've we've certainly found that uh, our application to one risk rate, so i.e. our NTU rates, Roger, as we like to call them, or NPW rates, are are significantly lower than we would have expected. Um, and And that is, we believe, mainly due to our journey. There are other factors as well in in how we're doing things differently. Underwrite Me, the company you mentioned, was originally set up, I think one of their original visions was to try to get all the information from the customer up front so that the customer got effectively the quote that they were given up front, the quick quote or whatever you want to call it, was actually accurate and we could eliminate this whole one in three people getting a premium lower or higher than than they were expecting. Is that the sort of direction that we're heading in? Well, we, we are firm supporters of Underwrite Me technology. We were the first provider to launch with them back in 2015. Um, and we continue to support Underwrite Me and the, and the value in which the Underwrite Me technology brings to those uh, customers and advisors that choose to adopt that technology. You know, they're, they're, but there are a huge proportion of uh, advisor firms out there uh, that use the, uh, tr- uh, use the more traditional quick quote portals. And we need to, as a business, uh, we need to be able to service those as well. We absolutely support Underwrite Me technology uh, and we welcome uh, that there's uh, a lot more providers now uh, joining that portal uh, and offering customers fully underwritten quotes and we support that elsewhere in the market as well uh, through our aggregated relationship. You know, in the traditional IFA model, a lot of advisors will still use that quick quote technology. So what we've tried to do is adapt our technology, our our ExNet quote and apply system to help the advisor uh, be able to inform their customer uh, of any changes to their premium very early on in, in the application journey to try and assist them with uh, being able to explain uh, to the customer why that would be, rather than getting a, a shock, perhaps, at the end of that journey. And what sort of results have you seen recently then as, as this system has become more more prevalent and more used? We're currently seeing offering an instant decision to over 80% of our customers in as little as 20 minutes after they've completed the, the online application. Um, I think that's a phenomenal result and something I'm really proud of that we're at this level. Uh, Since I've been involved in the IPP proposition since uh, January 2017, this has actually increased by 15%. It was initially 65 at the start of 2017 and it's increased to 80% now, getting an instant decision, which I I think is all down to the hard work and flexible thinking of the team. Uh, So so sort of to accept these cases, we need, as Natalie was saying, an online journey which asks questions which are simple and in plain English. By asking questions in the right way, 
We're confident the answers will be truthful, accurate, and bring any concerns to the surface. Uh, questions need to be engaging, conversational, and simple to understand. For example, you wouldn't ask your wife if she wanted a second unit of wine or your mates down the pub, you want two units of beer. You simply ask whether they want another glass of wine or a pint of beer. I mean, I wouldn't ask Natalie how many units of wine she drinks, but I'm sure she'd tell me how many glasses of wine she drinks. Or bottles at the end of the week in the bottle bank. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> another example, Roger, is, is we've changed like, on our smoking status. We just simply ask, instead of saying lifelong non-smoker, we just simply say, I've never smoked. Going back to the, the smoking, we've also a, a more refined breakdown of our smokers with several smoking statuses, which enables, able, enables us to change, charge a more personal premium based on when they've last smoked versus the black and white stance on smoker and non-smoker rates. I think all these questions in a plain English and conversational style really helps to build a good rapport, which is really important when a customer is looking to buy protection cover. And we're continuing to improve our application. We're actually at the moment changing some of the questions and we've had a, we're doing a reduction by over 40% and we're still getting all the answers we think that we need. Uh, the feedback on that is, is also positive. Uh, one advisor told me the flow is far better for both the advisor and the client. And another said that is there's a lot less repetition and it's far easier for the advisor to read. Roger, you're always talking about making things simple, and I don't think we should lose sight of the impact of a 40% reduction in question text. You know, the ease of customer journey, the simplicity of messaging to people in a language they can understand, I know is at the heart of all your content marketing requests of insurers. So, so I think that's, a, that's an incredible achievement, and it's something that I think all insurers need to look at, because you mentioned 32 pages of medical underwriting questions from the original five one-page version. I think what we're trying to do is get it back to basics, but also reduce the selection risk and any miscommunication with with an individual who is applying. And that, that's really important. Yeah. And I think yeah. the, the example you gave um, just back there about using the words units of alcohol, uh, the penny dropped for me there again. One of the things I often go on about on this podcast is, is, a, is something that I call the curse of knowledge. I can't take credit for it. It's something I read on the internet ages ago. But the curse of knowledge is basically where you work in an industry for so long, and we've already established that we've got about 100 cumulative years together in this industry, but you work in an industry so long and you become immune to the terminologies that are used by the industry. And because you become immune to them, you forget that your customer probably doesn't speak that language. And and of course, it's obvious that people don't go into a pub and say, can I have three and a half units of beer, please? Can I have five and a half units of alcohol? They go in and say, can I have a pint of beer? Can I have a bottle of wine? Can I have half a glass of wine? Why do we insist as an industry, even from a silly little example like that, in talking in the technical language as opposed to the language that people use in their day-to-day lives? I think that's a fabulous example of how you can turn it round and start talking in the language of your customer rather than talking in the language of the industry. Sorry, please carry on, Bill. So so we have an excellent application complemented by an intuitive set of underwriting rules, which is, as I've already said, is is resulted in us having an online decision-making rate of over 80%, which I know is very competitive compared to the other providers in the protection market. But we're not just resting on our laurels or being complacent and we continue to review our rules and also remove any blockers in the process, Roger. So as already mentioned, in the last 18 months, our online decision making has increased by 15%. So simply changing the way we obtain a piece of information can drastically affect the acceptance rate for a a medical condition. 
So some, as we said, some customers will not know the answer to a question. However, does a, a don't know answer mean the customer journey ends? Could we ask a question in a different way to provide us with reassurance? It's not really a concern. Could we ask, when did the, when, what did the doctor say at your last review? Have you been discharged? Advice to increase your treatment? All these answers gives us a good indication whether a medical condition is okay or not and allows us to accept more cases instantly. So with over 80% of customers offered an instant decision, is there any value manual under, manually underwriting a customer or are we happy with the 80%? So at the beginning, we were happy to just accept these cases for our rules engine to give these online decisions. But the challenge for the advisor was how do we best serve the remaining customers? We knew by adapting our approach, we could accept more customers. So in June last year, we decided to induce manual underwriting. But we wanted to be different, Roger. We wanted to be bold and different and change the traditional ways of underwriting, challenge the rule book, wanted a new way of underwriting. And as we've already mentioned, we wanted to remove the roadblock. We wanted to remove the general practitioner's report. As an underwriter for 20 years, I know that obtaining a request in a doctor's report will slow down the process and complicate matters. You need to get consent from the individual, dealing with doctor's surgeries, incomplete medical information, even assessing a doctor's handwritten notes is a challenge. So overall, this adds up to a long process time, massive delays to the customer, and time for them to drop out the process and go elsewhere. This is a pitfall that Natalie has already mentioned. And we know the average time to when a doctor report is required is more than 30 days. Customer looking to buy life coverage just doesn't want to wait that long. I mean, we, we appreciate the value that reports can add, but the key question to us was, could we get the same information with carefully constructed questions to the customer via a tele-interview? It's really important that the customer and the advisor stays in control of the process. We can do this by asking the customer to undergo a tele-interview at, at a time that best suits them, so they're totally in control of the process. A tele-interview just lasts about 10 minutes, can be processed within 24 hours. Try getting a doctor's appointment in that time, let alone a doctor's report. I mean, there will be certain conditions, Roger, that we can't consider. The list of conditions we can cover just grows and grows. We've added a, third, a further 30 conditions we can now consider with a quick call. These include chest pain, breast lump, rheumatoid arthritis, and asthma, to name a few. So, Roger, what you're hearing here is we started with a straight-through processing approach, which got us to 80%. And that was the ambition when we started a, a no-touch, click-and-buy journey. But listening to the advisors we work with, they said, what are you going to do for the other people? And we then looked at the traditional uh, approach to medical underwriting. We thought, this doesn't feel right for a customer journey. Having to wait for a GP's report for 30 days, not being able to read it, having to then ask for further information or further detail on, on what's written, it just felt wrong. So what Bill and the team have done is, is that they've looked to make the whole journey simpler by just talking to the person about their condition and understanding it and looking for a way to give that person a price. So it's a bit like the evolution of the rules engine, getting from 65 to 80%. How do we get people to 90% decisions? And that, that is the process of the journey we're on. So taking the technology and then working backwards to what else can we do to get people over the line and give them a decision and a price. I'm really pleased that you've tried very hard and sound like you're succeeding in dumping 
the GP report. <laughs> I can remember years ago, I mean, it's been a bugbear of advisors for many, many years. And, and, and you're absolutely right. Who wants to wait that 30 odd days for the GP to fill in the form? Uh, I can remember having conversations with the actuaries years ago and they would said, well, we could do away with the GP report, but it'll put the price up massively because the overall risk will go up for the company. You know, we'll be accepting more impaired lives. I hate that term, impaired lives. So assuming that you, you've just effectively got rid of the GP report, you obviously don't have those similar concerns, or was I just being spun a line back then? I think what we've done, Roger, is we put the customer at the heart of the journey rather than the actuary. Um, <laughs> it's my actuarial colleagues, but it's really thinking about the blocker was there, we've unblocked it, and, it, and, it's, and it's an iterative process. We're not sitting on our laurels here. We're trying to figure ways to give the customer what they want. There is a price attached to that sometimes, and, and but we're having some great examples, live examples coming through things that we probably wouldn't have covered or shouldn't have covered previously according to the actuaries, but can now offer a price and a decision very quickly. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's good with regards to the tele-interviews, Roger, because we do them in-house as well, but the actual underwriters do them. We can, any feedback we see, any trends we can see, we can then feed that back into the rules. So it is a, it is a continually circular process and it's going in an upward direction uh, as a result of the tele-interviews we're doing. I mean, one example um, I have is we used to always get tele-interviews for uh, asthmatics that were uh, lifetime non-smokers that were diagnosed after age 35, we used to always get medical evidence, but we wouldn't do the same for a smoker. So if you're a smoker over age 35, we're quite happy to accept you, which, to be honest, looks a little bit uh, back to front to an advisor. So we started tele-interview in these cases, uh, and then suddenly we just saw a trend that every time we, we did the tele-interview, they were accepted at standard rate. <laughs> so what we did, we just went back into our rules engine and updated it to say, well, we can consider uh, lifelong asthmatics up to age 50 now without any medical evidence. But we haven't stopped there as another example of letting the advisor stay in control, and that's the development of our pre-underwriting tool. This will give the advisor the opportunity to get an indication of terms 24-7, 365 days a year. I mean, I love speaking to the advisors, and they love that personal touch that they can they can phone up, and a lot of them have got my direct line now, so they can come straight to an underwriter, which I know you don't get all throughout the market. Uh, but I do go home. I have got a life, so I do leave at five o'clock most days, and I don't work weekends. And I know that is the time when a lot of the, our advisors do their business. Yeah, so just, just on that, uh, 43%, Roger, of advisors and customers are actually transacting business with us outside of, office, of typical office hours, so the nine to five uh, typical office hours. So we want to be able to service uh, those people who actually are seeing their client at seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the evening uh, and they realise the client has a, a medical condition um, and that actually they, they want to know what the likely terms are going to be. So we're developing a, a pre-sale underwriting tool, again using technology to, to help advisors uh, stay in control and, and be able to deliver the best outcome for their customers. Albeit, I'm sure a lot of our advisors will still want to speak to our underwriting team in Bristol, um, but it will allow for those people who want to take control themselves to be able to do that. This is all good stuff. You've reduced the number of words on the application form. The words that have stayed on the application form are simpler and easy to understand. You've cut the um, number of words by 40%. You've done away with the vast majority of GP reports. So you must be getting some pretty good feedback from the IFA market on this. Yeah, um, um, and absolutely we are. I think the approach that we've taken in distribution uh, has been uh, an honest approach to say that to inform advisors where in the market we will play. So, for example, we're not in the what I would call the ultra-high value 
part of the market. So you're, you know, you're over one, one million sums assured because that wouldn't allow us to have the philosophy to, to not um, go for doctor's reports. So we're very honest uh, with, our, with our firms as to where, where we operate the best and where we can give the best customer outcomes. Uh, but certainly the feedback from uh, certainly our very large distributors that no underwriting, no uh, the providers underwriting approach very well has been that, you know, we, we do give very, very quick and good decisions back to customers without uh, asking lengthy questions and without having to go for lengthy pieces of information which ultimately upset the customer. So we've received some great feedback um, and we'll continue to do so. And I think what you're hearing, Roger, is a really entrepreneurial approach to medical underwriting and it's thinking differently about it. I think as an advisor, if I was listening to this podcast, I'd be thinking what, what we've tried to do here at Canada Life is take the technology and the intuitive journey for the customer and, and keeping the advisor in control, but then rethink traditional medical underwriting approaches and rework the customer being at the heart of everything rather than the medical underwriter or the price. So that, that combination, I think, is where we're getting the biggest audits because we have reversed to a traditional medical underwriting approach from the technology. Uh, but, but again, I, I would iter- reiterate this is an iterative process. And Bill, you've got a few other things that, that we're doing which I think are going to be of interest to the audience. So. Yeah, I think that's really important, Paul. I think, I think, as you say, we need to get away from the traditional underwriting and do things on a more holistic basis now. So at the end of the day, you get the right piece of evidence for the right disclosures and, and something else we're, we're starting to do now is is that we don't we no longer automatically just request a HIV test for someone who does foreign travel. A test is normally required for, for past travel to areas with poor health facilities, high levels of HIV infection. But now we want to understand the circumstances of the travel and whether we really need to ask the customer to undergo this test. Asking the customer for a little bit more information has resulted in us being able to waive a high number of tests, being able to give the customer a decision in 24 hours not having to attend what is still deemed to be a very sensitive test. I mean, countries like India, where we were seeing many customers attending weddings and funerals, and also Thailand, a country, a country which is which is normally people go for exotic honeymoons and once in a lifetime trips. And do we really want to be asking people to go for those sort of sensitive tests in those areas? I mean, I know uh, Paul goes to the the Caribbean for extended holidays every year, but should I be concerned? I mean, knowing Paul's wife is from Saint Lucia and. She, and this is just a family holiday each year to visit his 24 nieces and nephews, it's quite reasonable and common sense for me not to ask for him to undergo a test. Yeah, thank you for that, um, Bill, because uh, I get two weeks of pure family fun when I'm in St. Lucia, and uh, nothing in has ever happens on those trips, so thank you for not testing me for HIV. <laughs> yeah, so from my point of view, Roger, just to sum up, we can offer an instant decision to over 80% of cases in 20 minutes, if we need additional information, in the majority of cases, we can offer a customer a 10-minute phone call and accept them within 24 hours. We also have a referral process for occupation, financial, travel, and cases which possibly sometimes do have a combination of risk factors. So that's 80% with an instant decision, 10% with a decision within 24 hours, which means overall, the sort of 90% of customers have given them a decision within 24 hours, which to me adds up to a great application and underwriting journey. I've heard some very exciting stuff today, guys, and obviously you're getting great feedback from the market from your efforts. Paul, do you want to just summarise for us today what we've heard? So, Roger, I think what we've heard from Bill and Natalie is incredibly exciting, uh, certainly for me, because it's clear we're taking tangible action using technology. These aren't just words. This is all about addressing the protection gap by being easy to do business with. 
Natalie, I think, eloquently summarised what the problem is with a traditional journey, what we're doing to resolve the challenges, and, and with what success we're having with great feedback from the advisors and listening to the advisors about how we need to, to evolve. Bill looked at getting more people through the buying process by removing other barriers to sale like GP reports and being really pragmatic and realistic on traditionally accepted medical underwriting practices like travel, thanks again for the um, Caribbean mention. And through this, we've been able to accept more people um, using this kind of innovative, personalized underwriting approach, listening to what someone's saying to us and understanding that they don't need to do the things that we've always uh, asked them to do. And, and this, is the, this is the nub of it. So where does this leave us as a business? Um, bear in mind, we're continuing to evolve our processes. 80% of people, many who start with non-standard health conditions, get an online decision in around 20 minutes. A tele-interview taking probably around 10 minutes provides a further decision beyond the online rules engine, meaning that we get decisions and prices to 90% of people who apply to us in around 30 minutes. So nine in 10 people in around 30 minutes get their protection needs answered. And that, that's, that's the big change. We clearly evidence the value of technology and fresh thinking when addressing the protection gap. By being easy to do business with, we set this benchmark high for our industry to adopt really similar approaches. We look back at 2005 and, and the genius decision to introduce class to the group market. And it shows that if you use technology in the right way, you can service the customer and put the customer at the heart of everything to mean that you will be delivering great business outcomes as well as great customer outcomes. And that's what we're all in the game of doing. If we're serious about closing the protection gap, then we need to use technology and we need to re fresh our thinking on traditional practices to get there. That's fantastic, Paul. Now, as we said at the start of the podcast, collectively between us, we've got a shed load of years worth of experience in the um, financial services industry between us, probably about 100 years. Now, if you were to go back to the first year that you each started in the financial services industry, and you don't need to tell me what that first year was, what would you do differently if you had it all again? Maybe start with Bill. I think, Roger, if I could start again, I mean, I've been underwriting now for 20 years. I think um, for the last two years I've been involved in individual protection. I would, I would take their fresh thinking back 20 years. So the amount of times I've been, I've assessed a doctor's report over the last 20 years is, is thousands and thousands of times and I just wish I hadn't had to spend hours and hours assessing those reports and also just doing things holistically, not, not just very traditionally getting you needed a GPR, a medical, an ECG, a HIV, going for those lists, you just get the right evidence at the right time. And Natalie? Uh, do you know what, Roger? I, If I could take myself back nearly 20 years, I actually wouldn't change anything because it is the experience and the knowledge of the distributors that has really helped me understand what we need to do with our proposition. And now I've got the benefit of working for Candy Life and can make those decisions w with our group. But yeah, I, I probably wouldn't change anything because it's given us the experience to know what needed to change. We are the sum of our experiences, we're the sum of our mistakes and we're the sum of our successes. Paul, what about you? My mind's a simple one, I think. I think um, IT departments should report into marketing so that we can drive the customer journey in the way that we've described today. Um, you know, we work with great partners. 
uh, in our industry. But I do think sometimes the traditional way of doing things and the budgets and the constraints that you put under means that we don't deliver that customer outcome. And, and certainly our investment in class and our investment working with underwrite media is yielding the positive results. And it's got to be driven by marketing and it's got to be driven by the customer. And, and that change in reporting, I think, is really important. As, a, as an industry, um, we, we tend to do lots of stuff in the back office. We're less well good at engaging the customer at the front. And that's where I think the opportunity going forward really lies. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the Marketing and Finance podcast yet again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. You've always got lots to talk about, lots of great ideas. And what I do like about talking to Canada Life is that you've always got results and statistics to share with me. And that's so important when you're doing stuff. It's being able to give people the evidence that this effort actually works. Thanks for coming on the show. As I said, a pleasure to speak to you, Paul, Natalie, Bill. Let me wish you every success for the future. And of course, I'll probably see you again on the show in the not too distant future. Thank you, Roger. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.